All right, um, kind of hard to believe. We're in week four of 1 John. I know, we're flying. Every seven days, another week. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, 1 John, fourth week. Um, just to revisit some, some context, um, 1 John, he's talking to some brothers and sisters uh, in the church. And the people in the church are really hurt. They're confused. Why? Because of false teachers. Um, they've left the church. They're very confused right now. And so they are basically like in this limbo state of I don't know what's true. Things are just blurry. Things are gray. And I don't know what's right. And John is setting the record straight, and that's why in, in 1 John, it's so concise. It's so very clear. John is wanting to make his brothers and sisters in the Lord absolutely certain of what's true. And he does it through his clear, concise language. And so um, we have, have just trekked through this, this book so far, and John's used clear language such as, God is light. And uh, next week, I believe, we'll be diving into another absolute statement that John says. And he says, God is love. He uses this black and white language that we uh, need for assurance. Like, man, the black and white language is like there's no uncertainty about it. He's so incredibly assuring because of his conciseness and how clear he is. So um, with that, we're going to be diving into... Uh, the end of chapter 2 and the beginning part of chapter 3. Before we get there, though, have you ever had someone in your life that was like family, but not family? Like, I, uh, it could be someone like a grandmother to you, like, wow, they're kind of like my grandma, but not my grandma. They're kind of like my Second mom. They're kind of like my second dad. You ever said anything like that or have people in your life that are like that? Like, man, I love those people. Those people are awesome. Like, I love it whenever you have people in your life that are so close to you that they're basically like family. Um, I had a lady in my life um, who is not my grandma, but she was like a grandma to me. Um, so much so that it's very common language for my family to, like, call her name's Jerry. We would call Jerry my, my grandma, even though she's clearly not my grandma. Um, she even, she's so awesome. Um, she was a spiritual mentor to my mom. Um, like whenever I was, we had just moved to Liberty, not too, uh, like I was maybe six or seven. And this lady took my mom under her wing. Well, Jerry eventually became a family friend. Um, took... Like, she got to know me and my brother well through this, and so we kind of saw Jerry as a grandma. Her husband, Jim, also became very important to me that he actually baptized me and my dad on the same day. He was on staff at Pleasant Valley where I went to church, and these people are so very special to me, and it's, it's not uncommon for us to call them, like, um, my, my grandma or my grandpa. And it was a sad day. Like, they moved to Texas um, a few years ago and Jim passed away in Texas and it was sad. It was like, I want to go see Jerry um, or grandma. And I, I couldn't because of distance, but it was like, man, those people in your life that are like family, but they're not, 
But here's what happens. Here's, here's how that can even become possible is because you've adopted them into your family, right? Like you are, or, the, or someone else has adopted you into their family, right? How many of you are that person for someone in there? Like you have refrigerator rights into their home. Anyone have refrigerator rights in someone's home that's not yours? Meaning you can go in their fridge and not like blink twice about it? I mean, you may do that, and they may like actually be really frustrated you. So you may want to double check, make sure, like, hey, is it cool if I, you know, just go into your fridge? It's good to have friends with refrigerator rights. Um, it, it's a good place to be. But um, it's so there's something very special about having someone that's like family that isn't family, but it's as if they are. It's as if you've been family the entire time. It's it's as if they've been a part of your family, your whole entire existence. There's something beautiful about that. There's something peculiar and intriguing whenever you have someone in your life that is like family but isn't family. This is actually a beautiful image of what God does for us whenever we enter into God's family. That um, God... Has a special way of bringing us into his family. Even though we are enemies of the cross because of our sin. Like our sin separates us from God. But God has a very unique thing that he does to bring us into his family. As if we've been there the entire time. John, we're going to find out, has much to say about you and me becoming part of God's family. And we're going to find it out in, in this passage um, today. So I'm going to read this passage in its entirety. I'm going to pray, but we're going to get to work, okay? So, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 is where I'm starting out. It says this, So now, little children, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because he will see him because we will see him as he sees, or as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Verse 4. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Verse 7, children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God. 
especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. All right, let's pray. Oh God, uh, man, as we just read this passage um, and just seeing that, God, there are children of you, there's also the flip side. There's children of the enemy. And God, may we come away with understanding. May we come away with application, God, to know and be assured that we are children of you and your family. God, would you draw us to yourself? If there is someone here that does not know where they lie in their family, God, would you draw them to yourself and bring them into your family, God? Will you speak to us tonight? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're just going to trek through this passage. There's a lot here. Um, But I think John has quite a lot to say when it comes to being in God's family. Um, Everyone who does what is right has been born of God. This is in verses 28 and 29. Uh, John says, so now, little children. And we see see this kind of language. John's been calling us this little children or like... um, he said something else, like early on in chapter one. Um, what was it that he said? Um, yeah, he's been saying, "My little children, um, dear friends." Yeah, he says, "Dear friends." Then, like my little, he's been he's been hanging on to this, my little children. What? Yeah, he's been hanging on to this. He's been like he's just showing his endearment to us. Like, man, he is like a spiritual father to these people. And he's like, my little children remain in him. And I had to stop there when I read that. Like he says, remain in him multiple times in this passage. And what basically if we needed to simplify that anymore, remain in him is basically saying, be consistent. John's saying, my little children, I want you to be consistent so that when he appears, who? Who appears? Jesus. Yes. Okay. So when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Like my, I want you guys to be consistent because whenever you're consistent in your walk with the Lord, you will walk away with some confidence and not be ashamed in Jesus' second coming. So verse 29, if you know that he, Jesus, is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So, there's this family ethic principle at play here. People will live in a way that is consistent with their parents or household. Now, how many of you guys have acted out of character of your family ethic? (laughs) Yeah, we all, man, it's like, just because you act poorly does not mean that your family is a disgrace. Right? Um, Because sometimes we bring that disgrace on ourselves, right? Through our own actions, our own doings. Not Lainey, though. Lainey's perfect. I get it. (laughs) So, um, but you know, there's just times where we act out of our family ethic. But what John's saying here is like there's a family ethic principle that more often than not, people will live in a way that is consistent with their parents or their household. John's not telling us that since you're a child of God, that you're uh, to act like God, but instead John's telling us that this is how you identify 
that someone is born of God. So John's telling us that you can identify who's born of God and who's born of Satan. Now, I wouldn't recommend you going down the halls and just labeling people, God, Satan, God, Satan, 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 capital S. You know, like, you're not going to make friends that way. It may deter friendships. Don't, don't put that one in the holster, fellas. It's not good. Um, but, we need to, but we need to reiterate, though, that John is talking very bluntly right now. You can tell who's of Satan, who's of God. Remember, his audience confusion, gray, muddy. I need you to know who's trustworthy here. Who's in your family? Okay? So he's talking very bluntly right now because he wants to dish out assurance to his church, his brothers and sisters, that you all are doing all right. You were born of him. There's a group of people that believe they are as well, and based off of what they can identify them, they're actually teaching us that they're children of Satan. So, um, verses 1 and 2 now, uh, going into chapter 3, uh, John says this. He says, See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Verse 2, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. So I love the excitement in these two verses. John is bringing just a level of excitement to the table here, not only because he's calling us children of God, but because he says that is what we are. That's what we are. We are children of God. It's not just the fact that we've been brought in or adopted into God's family. It's the fact that like your status has changed. Your status has completely changed. That you were once outside of God's family and now you are brought in as if you were there the entire time. So it's not the fact that like, oh, you're just a resident, you're just kind of visiting for a while. It's the fact that like, no, you were at one time not in the family and now your status has changed to God's children. Like you, that is what we are. It's like an identity label. It's like you are in our family now. As if you've been there the entire time. You're in. You are called children of God because that is what you are. See, God's love is not only a name change, but rather a status change. He says this also, we will be like him. See, the goal in Christianity, that's kind of the goal in Christianity. We will be like him. It's like if we need to start growing in Christ-likeness. It's like if you can look back and like think, man, how have I grown in Christ-likeness? Have I grown in Christ-likeness? Am I becoming more and more like Jesus? That'd be one. That'd be one question I would I would challenge uh, for you to think on and and pray about. Man, God, have I grown more and more like Jesus? Or more and more like the world. Verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Um, see, uh, I want to revisit verse 2 because I think verse 2 and 3 kind of go together with this. Um, verse 2 
is the very definition of hope. When we think of hope, verse 2, we're God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Like This is the definition of hope in verse 3 that I just read. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. This is like the byproduct of that. This is like a natural response to hope. Verse 3 is. Verse 3 is your natural response to hope that purify himself just as he is pure. See, the hope that we have is, is the certainty that God is going to conform you and I into the image of his son Jesus. That as I continue to follow him, as I continue to remain in God's family, I'm, I continue to be consistent in my walk with the Lord, I'm going to continue to be shaped and molded into the image of Jesus. It's the power of God's family. That the longer I'm a part of God's family, and I remain in him, I stay consistent. I'm going to start to look more and more like Jesus. See, this word pure, if, you're, if you have your own Bible, I would encourage you to circle that word pure in verse 3. If you have this hope in him, purifies himself just as he is pure. See, that word pure, if you think about it, you slow down and think about it, because I think in pure in Christianese is kind of like, oh, you just are sinless, but... Um, pure, think of it as like you're free from contamination. Pure. Free from contamination. What am I consciously doing in my everyday life that is contaminating me and making me look less and less like Jesus? What am I doing that's contaminating my soul? What am I doing that's contaminating my heart? What do I need cleansed so I look more and more like Jesus? Man, what a sobering question. And I had to stop and really just do a heart check and just, man, what do I, hmm, what do I need cleansed? Is it my eyes? Is it my mouth? My feet, the places I go? Things I say, things I look at, things I ask for? Man, what do I need cleansed? Moving on, he says this in verse 4. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness. Turn to your neighbor and say lawlessness. lawlessness. Riveting, Yes. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Verse 6, everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. See, I think here, I think John is wanting his brothers and sisters to understand that sin puts us in a position that we can't get ourselves out of. That we are in need of rescue. Verse 4, John says that everyone who commits sin is practicing lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. We are in this vicious circle of sin 
and we can't get out of it. It's like we're in this hamster wheel of sin and we can't get out. We need someone to like actually rescue us. How many of you guys have jumped in to the deep end of the pool when you didn't know how to swim and you needed rescued? Just me? No, okay, good. I got some people in here. Yeah, we're actually brave. We actually, we're actually brave. <laughs> so um, we just don't think sometimes. <laughs> I've done that. I've jumped into the deep end of the pool before I knew how to swim. And guess what? I needed to be rescued because I was not finding my way out. Like we need someone to rescue us from our sin because on our own power, in our own strength, we can't find our way out. And I'm revisiting back to chapter 1. We can't find our way out because we're walking in blind because we're walking in darkness. We need someone to rescue us and the only person that can rescue us is Jesus. And we know that He can rescue us because God is light and in Him there's absolutely no darkness at all. So man, we need to be rescued. Not even like, oh, I need to be encouraged so I can muster up the strength. No, no, no. There's none of that. There's no mustering up the strength yourself. It's fully devoted belief and trust in Jesus. So, we need to be rescued. And John tells us that Jesus came onto the scene. Like, Jesus came to take away our sin. Yet there is no sin in him. In fact, this is what makes him the man for the job, is that Jesus can take away our sins because he knew no sin. He hasn't sinned. He doesn't know sin. That's the only reason why Jesus can rescue us from sin. This is the qualifying factor that Jesus uh, be spotless, absolutely pure, uncontaminated. He is and was totally pure and perfect, came and take away not only sin, but the power of sin over you. I need to say, Jesus came to take away sin and the power of sin over you. So like that sin that you keep buckling to, the sin that you keep finding yourself on your back in the corner to, like Jesus came to take the power of that sin away. Like you don't have to cave to your sin anymore. You don't have to fight it alone. Jesus can rescue you. Why? Because he has taken away the power of sin. Well, if that's the case, Adam, then how come it is that I keep sinning? We choose sin. We choose death. We think we know better. We think we're stronger than we are. We think we know how to swim when we don't know how to swim at all. Jesus came to take away the power of sin. You don't have to cave to it. So Jesus was absolutely perfect and pure. Not only did he defeat sin, but he defeated the power of sin. And so now I'm going to put a little bit of work into verse 6 here. He says that everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or know him. So this, this verse can be taken in a way that may seem contradictory to other parts of the Bible. Um, but John tells us again, he has those three words in verse 6. He says, remain in him, which means what? Be consistent. John says it again. He doesn't mention this for the first time. This is the second time we've seen this. 
John is saying, so everyone who remained in him, be consistent, doesn't sin. If Jesus takes away sin, it's because we, but we sin because we choose to continue in a pattern of sin. And the only logical explanation is that you have not seen or know Jesus. See, this is hard to take in because we choose sin. But if you are powerless to sin, it's because you haven't given Jesus the ability to be the Lord of your life. But if you are a follower of Jesus and you keep struggling with sin... because we choose it. It's because we've chosen rebellion against the Holy God. But He can rescue you. And He's done it. But we, man, I don't know uh, what clicked one day in college, but one one day one of my friends just was talking about an addiction he had, and he just, man, God really spoke to him one day, and he just said, I, I realized, God showed me one day that I, I didn't have to choose that. I didn't have to give in. And it was just like to me, it was groundbreaking because, man, I've been, I've been there. They're like, man, I felt like I didn't even have the ability to fight against an addiction. And it was like, I don't have to do that. It's like I had a choice. And I had just been choosing. Like Satan had me so gripped that I felt like I didn't have a choice, but I really did. But again, it's not in your own strength, though, either. It's not that you need to muster up the strength and courage to fight this addiction. It's that you just need to... need to choose Jesus and ask that he would that he would rescue you that he would purify you that he would uncontaminate your heart he can do that he can purify your heart verse 7 John says this children children let no one deceive you let no one deceive you The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. See, getting confused or wrongheaded about sin is a serious spiritual problem. Whenever we're thinking wrong about sin, that's an issue. The worst thing you can do for yourself in your walk with Jesus, I want you you guys to get this. The worst thing you could do in your walk with Jesus is surround yourself with people who will tell you it's not that big of a deal. The worst thing you could do is surround yourself with voices that will tell you sin is not that big of a deal. And they're not going to verbalize, oh hey, sin is is not that big of a deal. They're going to say, partaking in this thing that I'm trying to get you to do Like, doing this specifically is not going to be that big of a deal. Looking at this is not going to be that big of a deal. Asking for this, no harm, no foul. Like, people are going to try to convince you that things of the world are not that big of a deal. 
partake, eat with me. You know, like they're going to try to convince you. The worst thing you could do is surround yourself with people who will tell you that sin is not that big of a deal. Sirens should be going off in your head and in your heart if you hear people trying to convince you. Because if you have a conviction of something that like this isn't, this isn't right, and you're, you have people that you love and trust telling you it's not that bad. Sirens should be going off in your head and in your heart. Like this isn't okay. So not only can this happen morally, trying, people trying to get you to do things that you shouldn't be doing, but like it can also happen in our beliefs with God. Making you think wrongly about God. But whenever we start thinking about God wrongly, we start acting wrongly. Our actions quickly follow. We need to be hyper-vigilant about who we let speak into us. John says very clearly, Let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. And now let's jump ahead to verse 8. This is one of the clearest statements in God's word about telling us why Jesus came. In verse 8, The one who commits sin is of who? The devil. Is everyone there? Verse 8. The one who commits sin is of the devil. devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The son of what? God. (laughs) Son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the devil's works. See, Jesus, guys, Jesus delivers a devastating blow to the power of sin. And Satan... And he does it by way of the cross. Jesus delivers a powerhouse punch to Satan in his throat because the cross. Like Satan had a plan and Jesus squashed it. And he did it by way of the cross. Jesus destroyed the devil's work by defeating sin. He did it by dying on a cross, raising from the dead. Three days later, the empty tomb is the reason we know Jesus is greater than anything in this world. I'm going to get back to this in a second. We're going to go through verses 9 and 10, and then we're going to wrap up. Uh, Verse 9, everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. Verse 10, this is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. So there's two things here, two questions out of this passage. Do do I do what is right? And do I love others? Do I do what is right? And do I love others? This is the way of Jesus. He lived a pure life. He was free from the contamination of sin. He loved you and me perfectly by dying a death on the cross that was reserved for criminals. He took it upon himself for the payment of sin for all humanity. This is the way of Jesus. You may have not made that decision to come to Jesus ever. 
to be a part of the family of God. If, if you decide tonight to make that decision, you can be adopted into the family of God as if you've been here the whole time. You're not a stepchild or a weird cousin. We all have those. But you're not. If you make a decision to enter into God's family, man, you get a seat at the table. You are in. And you're not pushed off to the little kid table or like the reject seat with the bad view. Like you are in. And you are part of God's family at the table. As if you've been there the whole time. It takes a decision, though, on your part to surrender your life to no longer live for yourself, but to live for God. It takes admitting the fact that you've sinned against a holy and righteous God. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God who died a death you deserved because of your sin. And confessing with your mouth and with your life. From this day forward that I align with Jesus. So I'd love to talk with you and pray with you if you'd like to. Make that commitment to, like, I want to be a part of God's family so I can be in relationship with Him. He can rescue you from your sin. Um, He defeated the power of sin over you, that sin has over you. You don't have to cave to your sin anymore. Because Jesus died for that. Jesus died for that sin. So I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. Um, if you want to enter into to God's family and be adopted as if you'd been here the whole entire time. Uh, this could have been a decision that you've never made before. This could be a decision you made for the very first time. Um, or it could be that I've just, man, I've strayed. I have gone awry. And I need to recommit my life to Jesus. I would love to also pray with you in that way. But don't wait. Don't put it off. It's just like a long lost son or daughter. Jesus is just telling you and I tonight, just come home. Just come home. So let me pray for us, and uh, you'll be dismissed to your small groups. Oh God, uh, I'm so grateful for your design of family. God, you are so incredibly gracious to us that we do not deserve to be a part of your family, but through the the perfect life, the perfect death, and the glorious resurrection of your son Jesus, we get to have relationship with you. And God, I just pray for that student here that just doesn't feel like they're a part of the family. God, would you draw them to yourself, God, that they would make a decision, a conscious decision, God, to be a part of the family at the table. God, would you draw us to yourself? And if you're here tonight, students, and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus and you'd like to, you just slip your hand up real fast. No one looking around. You've never made a decision to follow Jesus, but you'd like to. And for that student here that's, I've asked Jesus into my heart, but man, I need to recommit. Would you just slip your hand up and I'd love to pray for you. I see you. I see you. Yep, I see you. And Jesus is just saying, come home. Come home, I see you. God, thank you for the decisions, God, to 
be a part of your family. God, you're so gracious. God, rescue us from our sin. God, thank you for defeating the power of sin over us, that we don't have to cave to the pressures of this world, God, but we can look to you. You are our Savior. You can rescue us. God, may we rely on you. May we look to you. Thank you for your death and resurrection. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you'd like someone to pray with you, I'd love to pray with you and talk with you, but otherwise you are dismissed to your small groups.